So we'll read in um, alphabetical order, but but uh, Daniel, why don't you start? Because okay. Carla hasn't read before. And what and page? Carla can go next, but in the future. Oh, we have Christian. What page are you? Why don't you start and then we'll go to Carla. We'll pretend that H goes before A. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Hi, everybody. Now, oh, uh, you need the, we need to share it, here. And we need the page. Uh, so 127. I can't hear anyone. Is that me? Could be. We, we can hear you. Could, so could someone there, I hear. Okay. So we're starting at the top of the page? Well, I don't know. Uh, just a what second. Page? Oh, sure. Okay. I think we finished this. Being one mind. The, what page is that, Kim? About 128. 127. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm good. All right, so this is it? Okay. Yeah, and Carlo, if, if it's a short paragraph, then you can read a second paragraph. And we pause at the end of each paragraph so that if anyone has any questions, there's no dumb questions, um, <laughs> you know, then you can ask or not that necessarily we'll have the answer, but. Right. Okay. All right. Being one mind. Buddhist psychology is different from the science of psychology. In Buddhism, we study the mind. We analyze the human mind. But after we analyze, we have to transcend or go beyond our idea of mind. To transcend doesn't mean to go to a paradise apart from the human world. To go beyond doesn't mean to destroy human knowledge. It means pay attention to real reality. That real reality is called Tao or the Buddha way. And this gets into what he said before about truth with a capital T, doesn't it? He has this idea that we don't read about other people, other Buddhists talking like this, do we? Real reality or truth. Ellen? I don't know that that's true. <laughs> Does Analio ever talk about that? Truth. Real reality. Okay. Well, we can... Yes, he maybe didn't call it that. <laughs> well, it seems like traditional Buddhism talks about samsara um, as the real world in illusionary terms, where here, and of course, there's a whole school of Buddhism that talks about um, that awareness and enlightenment can happen in here and now, right? So it seems to me that it speaks to that. And there's also this idea of wisdom beyond wisdom, which I think is, is close to real reality. Um, but it's not the reality that we grew up kind of looking for understanding, you know, like, like Newton's laws. It's not that kind of reality. Okay. Uh, Carlo, would you like to read? Sure. Um, I don't, can you expose more of it? 
when when you what when are you, pay, you seeing when you pay attention and then yes, i'll switch I, i'll go to the next page after you read that okay when you pay attention to real reality you see that human knowledge exists right in the middle of change there is nothing to get a hold of so finally human knowledge is empty but that emptiness is not merely empty something is moving there Sorry. that something something is moving there where did that part go oh maybe because i may go on so, yes okay. something is moving there that something moving is mind itself mind itself doesn't have any form of its own it's just dynamic functioning mind itself is the perfect network of the buddha way extending in all directions to you and all sentient beings should i go on kim or do you want uh, it's up to it's to you does anyone want to say anything about this where is trouty i have to see trouty trouty yeah i'm need, here we need you we need you trouty well i mean <laughs> it is a, a language that you know any philosopher will say what is a real reality no, in, ter in terms of mind you know, there's the mind that's the senses it's one of the senses right yes one of the six uh, senses that's right but when he's talking about the next paragraph is about big mind and i don't think that's that's the same mind as one of the senses no because the big mind is called the Buddha's mind, right? That's yeah. how the paragraph starts. So Bodhi mind or Bodhi, Bodha, Buddha nature. Yeah, that, that is clear, but this real reality. Yeah, anyway. Okay. <laughs> so mind is used in two different ways. Yes. And maybe three, because sometimes, especially if... Uh, we are in context of uh, Chinese Buddhism, it will be mind heart, right? So then it's still uh, something different. Okay. So I can continue. Um, this big mind is called Buddha's mind, body mind, or Buddha nature. A tree, bush, rock, and river all are Buddha's mind. It is the, the, it is the whole world, the universe. Anyone can use this mind because it is continuously open to everybody. It is beyond human consciousness, but it exists in everyday life. When you eat a meal, walk on the street, whatever you do, it is there. But it is not something you create. It is freedom. That is a very good paragraph. <laughs> I agree. Um, okay, my turn. Uh, Buddhism studies not only human life, but also the whole picture of life. 
So Buddhist psychology is individual and also not individual because when you study your own mind, you're also studying the mind of others. Both come together in Buddhist psychology. You study your own life and simultaneously your life becomes universal life. Finally, your individual mind becomes the one mind of all sentient beings. Practicing way mind. Wait, wait, hold on. Um, so does everybody agree that when you're studying your own mind, you're studying the mind of others? I think, I think the key word here is finally. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, for example, when light goes through a prism, it creates the illusion that there's green and there's red and there's yellow, but really it all comes from white, which is all colors combined. But when you look at green, it's not the same as red. You see what I'm saying? Even though, but from green and red, you can, a rot, you can awaken to the light that everything comes from. But that doesn't mean that green and red are the same. Okay, so go now connect that to mind. So for example, some people are born um, with minds that work in certain ways and some people are born with minds that work in different other ways. And yet all of them come from one beingness. But I don't necessarily think that if I study my own mind, I'm studying your mind. Except I only think, I think we can link those things when we go to higher mind or big mind. Yeah, right. Big mind includes all of them. Yeah, well, I think that, that's what he's referring to. Yes. Yeah. And that beingness you're talking about would be, yeah. Okay, sorry. That's fine. No, that's I'm great. That's fine. Um, practicing way mind. The main purpose of Buddhist practice is to taste ego consciousness and deeply touch who you are, but it's not good enough. Next, you have to taste universal consciousness and directly participate in real reality, which is called the Buddha way. The Buddha way is the universal path. All sentient beings are constantly going along that path. It exists forever, so it is always there, always supporting your life. This universal path is provisionally called mind. When you experience the path and directly participate in real reality, it is called way mind. Dao Shin. I think I'm next. Mind as the universal path is peaceful and simultaneously dynamic. <coughs> How can something be both peaceful and dynamic? When I was at Komazawa University, President Shosen. Miyamoto used the example of a ball to explain. A ball can roll anywhere, but its center is always calm. Now that's a great metaphor. Mm -hmm. you know, the center doesn't move. Right. 
So when a ball starts to roll, roll, there is stillness within the movement of its leading edge and movement of the stillness at its center. Joseph Campbell talks about this. He Is says it, that in the, there's a wheel of life, for example, where we experience ourselves as being on the outside of the wheel. So when it, the wheel, when we feel like we're on top of the wheel, everything's great. And then the wheel is turning mm-hmm. and everything's are, things are okay. And then the, we, we reach the bottom of the wheel and things are terrible and we move along and things are okay again. But all of that time, there's a center in the middle that never changes and yet is connected to all parts on the wheel. Nice. Yeah. It's the same concept he's talking about here, sort of, I think, don't you? <clears throat> well, yes. that's the, the peaceful and, and dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, Joseph Campbell, with that, talks about sort of the center being identity. And so, you know, I think... Uh, it definitely connects to that. And here, of course, we're talking about identity as something um, maybe you know, much more egoless and both the mind, individual mind and the universal mind at the same time. So that's right. the, the spokes on the wheel, I guess. You know. That's interesting because when I heard him talk about it, my what I heard was what I walked away from that with was that the center is everything. It's connected to everything. So it's the one play. It's for me, that center is, is Buddha mind um, or Buddha nature or it's beingness. It's, it's one with oneness with all being everywhere and all time everywhere because it's the one still place that never ever moves when everything else is moving. Yeah, I guess maybe another way to, to connect it back to Buddhism would be sort of the interbeingness, you know, how we were in a state of interbeing with, with, with all things at the same time. And this is not something that you acquire like it's, he says here, it exists forever, so it is always there, always supporting your life. I like that. So what you're trying to do is recognize it as opposed to invent it or yes. acquire it. But I think the, the similar or metaphor of the wheel is much more suitable than than the ball. Um, I, I'm trying to comprehend why wouldn't the center of the ball move as well? Me too. <laughs> oh, because if the ball is moving through space, the center is moving in a line, but the center itself doesn't spin around. Right. But that would be like uh, uh, trying to stop the roll. <laughs> that's how I. That's how I see it. If there is something in the center, um, 
that is not part of the movement. Well, the center is, is hypothetical. It has no well, width. Yes, I, I see that. But a, I, I think the, the wheel is... Uh, okay. I mean, the wheel is more traditional, certainly, isn't it? Well, the well, wheel, it, it has only one center and it doesn't jump. The wheel doesn't jump up and down. It's, its center is the center of all things, including all balls moving everywhere. I see. So the di another difference is the ball is moving but the wheel isn't. I mean, we're moving, but it's not. Well, the center of the wheel doesn't leap through the air. Yeah, that's right. Otherwise, uh, the, the wheel <laughs> would fall off, or, right? Because it may roll the other way or <laughs> something. Or even if it rolls the same way, it might go by a different speed. So the wheel would fall off. But here, well, anyway, I mean, it's a, it's a little detail, but I was trying to see whether really the, the comparison would stand. So I thought maybe I mentioned it. Anyway, the point he's making is like the first sentence of the next paragraph, that mind as a universal path is peaceful and simultaneously dynamic. That's a point he's trying to get at with maybe imperfect descriptions. Okay, who's next? Uh, Trouty? Yeah, I, I don't, I cannot see the whole list. So yes, of course. So I mentioned this ball at a Kendo Martial Arts Center and people were very interested because in Kendo practice, the standing posture is very calm. When consciousness of standing becomes refined, standing is genuinely calm. No one knows what makes that calmness appear. It is naturally becomes, it just naturally becomes so. When the body is calm, it is ready to move. It is ready to immediately accept any, any situation and act. Well, this is me... a very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes me, me makes me think about uh, the posture we sit in for Zazen and mm -hmm. also the mountain pose. It is quite calm to stand. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had not, I mean, I'd noticed it, but it helped me to read that there because I have had that experience of how calm the mountain pose is just standing. Maybe if it wouldn't wear you out, it might be nice to just stand for Zazen sometime. Maybe I'll try it. <laughs> see who's, is that back to me? I think um, so. Well, why don't we start with Carla and now oh, go okay. in order. I'll go, go, okay, sure. Um, Spiritually speaking, this tranquil and dynamic activity is called mind, the way or the path. It is the calm center of your life. And at the same time, it is leading your life. Psychologically speaking, it is called Allah. How do you pronounce it? Trouty told us last week, I think. Alaya Vijnana. 
Alaya Vichnana, Vichnana, or universal consciousness. What is that? It is the perfectly tranquil peace and the harmonious activity of real reality. Your life already exists there. So you can experience this peace and harmony directly. When you experience it, this is called Samadhi and you appear as Buddha. Intellectually, it's impossible to become a Buddha, but spiritually you can do it. That is what Buddhism always tries to present to you. Kim, could we go back up to the beginning of that paragraph and look at it? I'd like to see it again. <laughs> So, Charlie, I, I, can, you, can you tell us what um, Alaya Vijnana means? Yes, that's where all, all the consciousness is, uh, which is the universal consciousness. It's like a pool, but then it represents the universal consciousness. And it depends on some of the different uh, Buddhist philosophers how they will uh, talk about it. But it isn't anything, definitely nothing uh, uh, tangible. Thank you. Does anybody know why this sentence begins psychologically speaking? It is called Alea Vijnana. Hmm. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. Well, he's comparing that to spiritually yes. speaking. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, but why, why is Alayavishnana uh, uh, psychological rather than spiritual? Mm -hmm. Good question. It is. Well, he actually says that it's a perfectly tranquil peace and harmonious activity. So, I mean, that, that's a juxtaposition of two uh, opposite yep. things, right? Yes. Well, that doesn't necessarily make it any more psychological than spiritual though, right? Because har harmonious activity could be spiritual, right? I know, it's so interesting. Geneva, I think that's such a good question. Okay, so he says, spiritually speaking, and he describes it mind as tranquil, uh, uh, right. a tranquil dynamic activity called mind, the way or the path is the center of your life and then he, okay so okay we got that then psychologically speaking and then there's this technical term alaya vijana which is universal consciousness that's he calls that psychological well yeah. why don't we reread the rest of the paragraph oh uh, sure good idea go ahead or Okay, you want me to read it? So it goes on to say, what, what is that? Is perfect, tranquil peace and harmonious activity of real reality. So that's somehow he makes a, a division in the way we can see, perceive that your life already exists there in this alayavijana. So you can experience this peace and harmony, harmony directly. When you experience it, it is called samadhi. Huh. 
I still don't, Geneva, I still don't get why he, how he makes that distinction either. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would almost flip spiritual and psychological there because those, yeah. those seem right. to fit in opposite spots in my mind. Yep. <laughs> so in the next sentence, he's using the word intellectually as opposed to spiritual. Ah, that's yeah. true. Intellectually, it's impossible to become intellectually impossible to become a Buddha. Okay. A spiritually, you can do it, yeah. Well, well, yeah. that's sort of saying that by mind you can't do it, by, but by avala avayala bijjani you can, but it that still seems to be the opposite of what he's saying in words. Maybe the next paragraph will help. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't think it does, but maybe. <laughs> I have a question. The, yeah, the, the sentence, intellectually, it's impossible to become Buddha, but spiritually, you can do it. Um, I actually, I, I read, actually, this week uh, about the Joseph Campbell that actually somebody, somebody mentioned today. And I don't remember all the details, but um, I read that he met, uh, Joseph Campbell met a monk uh, and he had some kind of discussion and monk was very um, um, surprised that uh, his level of understanding of um, reality, even though Joseph didn't really practice actively meditation, uh, but really through understanding the science and, and uh, knowledge was able to grasp and answer some of the uh, master's questions. Mm. And I'm thinking if, is it, can you maybe <laughs> intellectually become? Oh, wow, interesting. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think he did that intellectually. My understanding is that Joseph Campbell spent time with spiritual beings. And I don't think that he was able to meet their beings intellectually. I don't think he did it intellectually. I think he, he did it because he had a capacity to do it for, through, for whatever reason, partly through deep, deep like readings of of spiritual texts and deep study and reflection. Um, I don't believe he did that. When I hear him talk about it, it doesn't sound like an intellectual experience for him, but that's just me. Well, I just heard that actually he studied lots of different scholars who did lots of work and he actually was able to present it uh, in such a way that uh, you know it was much more accessible and didn't need to be a scholar. But scholars sometimes begrudge it because he didn't give them any acknowledgement that he is using their materials. Well, anyway, um, I, I'm not all that familiar. I probably have somewhere in my library to which I don't have currently access. Um, probably one of his big books. 
but I thought I'll add to sharing about <laughs> the material. Yeah, my understanding of his work was, you know, that he looked at archetypal patterns across cultures and embedded mm -hmm. himself in a number of cultures. And, you know, the many books of his I've read, um, you know, he does um, cite, you know, a lot of material. Um, and and through those experiences, he, he became a very awake, um, aware being about, um, you know, a lot of different cultural, you know, religious dynamics that are patterns in different, you know, approaches. And so I think, um, nothing else that's interesting, I think. Yeah. So just one, one more comment. I am not sure whether we sort of clarified that, but, uh, I think what is highlighted now in blue, I don't know whether it's for everybody like that, the intellectually it's impossible um, to become a Buddha, but spiritually you can do the, do it. Uh, I do not know who, I, is that Ken? I, I did that, yes. I see. So, uh, I mean, I think that is clear, but maybe how that paragraph starts might be a little bit confusing. Can you please, yes. Um. In Western thought, I feel like spiritually and psychologically are um, backwards, they're exchanged. Spiritually is in Western thought, Ella Vigiana and psychological thought would be mind. Yeah, that's I, I thought the same thing, Emily. But maybe it's an Eastern. Mm, no, I mean, I, I think you, you are putting your finger on it. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that seems, seems odd. Maybe the point is, is that intellectually you can't do it. I mean, <laughs> no, no, these other no you can't. You, obviously, you can't, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of analyze it doesn't, doesn't help anything. Right. Yeah, I mean, spiritual growth of any kind, it, yeah, you can't intellect, it can't only be done through intellectual understanding, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, are you next? Um, I should, oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, or did I, who just went, is it Carla? I think uh -huh. it's Christian next, yeah. Oh, you're next, Christian, okay. Yeah, I'll go, um, and then, then Daniel, okay. So, all right, how can you present, how can you be present right in the middle of Alavajana with serenity and tranquility in Gakudu, Yojin Shu points to watch in Buddhist training, translated by Yuhu Yoki. Dojin quoted uh, Nagarjuna saying, the mind that sees into the flux of arising and decaying and recognizes the transient nature of the world is also known as the Bodhi mind, unquote. 
And this sounds like enlightenment too, doesn't it? What do you think, Trotty? I'm just looking, what page is this on? Uh, one, around 130. Yeah, uh, it, it, it is on 130, Trotty. Okay, thank you. Uh, because, you know, when we get a, a split paragraph, then sort of <laughs> uh, part of it disappears, right? Oh, I see, I see it here. I think we should read the next paragraph because it goes okay. on to explain some more. The, the, the tran transient nature of the word is the teaching of impermanence. According to that teaching, the whole world is unified in a peace, and then life begins to move in harmony. All at once, individual beings arise and form the human world according to the causes and conditions functioning in each moment. Where does that functioning arise from? It originates from Ali Viana, the unified Dharma. Okay. Um, Bodhi mind is a different term from way mind but it means exactly the same thing, enlightenment. Okay, Kim, there's the answer to your question, maybe. The mind that, see, that sees into the flux of arising and decaying and recognizes the transient nature of the world is also known as Bodhi mind. And here he says, Bodhi mind is a different term from way mind, but it means exactly the same thing, enlightenment. Mm -hmm. There you go, huh? Hey. With Bodhi mind, you see the truth. Everything is constantly changing. There's nothing fixed that you can pin down as I. Dogen Zinji says, when the transient nature of the world is recognized, the ordinary selfish mind does not arise. And Genev, I think that's the point at which where your mind becomes all minds that we read before you were asking about that. Is it Emily? Emily? Yeah. When you awaken way mind, you feel relief. You feel grateful, you feel satisfied, but your ego consciousness doesn't feel that this is satisfactory because without wanting something, it's very difficult for manas to function. So when the bottom of manas touches the flowing energy of alavijjana, manas also starts to move. Your human consciousness doesn't catch that very subtle movement. So that first movement is called ignorance. That is why at the start of the 12-fold chain of dependent origination, ignorance suddenly appears. Manas grasps something, I, from universal consciousness, and your original oneness is immediately separated into two. 
Separation into two is neither good nor bad. But when dualistic ideas are subtly moving in human consciousness, like and dislike arise. Then our big balloon heads are filled with all kinds of analyses and there is no peace. Human beings are always forgetting the Dharma world of oneness and heading toward the dualistic world of interesting ideas. To practice is to let go of those ideas and return to the Buddha way. I have a big balloon head most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure of it. Uh, I think it's me. Whoever travels along the Buddha way can penetrate through manas and arrive at the place where humans deeply observe what it means to be human. The way of arriving is to shift from the five body consciousnesses to the sixth one, mind consciousness. By calming your sixth sense consciousnesses, you arrive at the unconscious layers of mind. And this really is all about Zazen, isn't it? That we're reading to get to this place. Unless the sixth sense consciousness are quiet, the subtle function of manas can't be known. When you reach the bottom of manas and directly experience ala vijjana, it is called enlightenment. Can someone say what manas is? Mind. Thank you. And it also, uh, Trouty, didn't he also say it uh, it has a um, concept of I, or I don't know concept is right. It grasps, manas grasps something I. Well, in the next paragraph. Okay. Oh, okay. Who is reading? Am I reading? Yeah. Okay. Manas constantly tries to move. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. Manas constantly tries to move your mind toward ignorance. That means that the delusion of I will appear again. So to reach your true self, you have to constantly pass by your grasping mind and go deeper. This is spiritual life. You learn to calm down and touch way mind directly. To learn is to become one with the universal path, with full awareness and turn it into reality through our own lives. So he has used manas in many different ways. And so manas definitely is not part of maybe some of the um, clarity or um vicinity with uh, enlightenment it is not no 
Yeah, and that's kind of what he's saying. He's but he's saying as you go deeper into it, it sort of starts to touch. It, it touches like the beginnings of this. Yes, Maya. Yes, well, it is. It is the only uh, uh, sense faculty, if we can call it that way, um, that may have these these qualities. Whereas the other senses, they are you know our sensual experiences, sight, vision, hearing, taste, smelling, etc. So they are directly uh, connected to, um, let's say, uh, the, the physical body. Whereas the, the mind can have, um, it's a little bit like a, well, maybe it's not a good comparison, but a chameleon. Ah, I see. Yeah, that's. I think that is a good comparison. Well, because chameleon changes colors, but here yeah. we we don't have anything that tangible. But right. But it somehow helps to facilitate facilitate some of it that is happening. What what we are trying to do, right? Right. Okay, we're back to Carla, I think. Did Trouty read? I just read, no, didn't oh, I? Okay, sorry. No, no, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started in, talking right afterwards. So. <laughs> in Buddhist psychology, the grasping nature of manas is considered the big scale of delusion. Buddha is the person who realizes what that delusion is. So let's see into the flux of arising and decaying and recognize the impermanent nature of the world. Then when the serenity and tranquility of way mind appears, whatever happens, you can take refuge there and become Buddha. So it's some kind of a conduit, right? Some kind of a what, Trouty? Conduit. Conduit. Yes. Did I pronounce it right? I think so. And, yeah. and so like a conduit, like this is the way, the path. Well, I mean, the path and the way means something uh, definite that uh, will lead to the enlightenment whereas uh, the mind is the small mind it has a function in all this but it can also mislead you well in this paragraph also makes me think about zazen because when you're sitting you are sitting watching the impermanent watching impermanence you know you're just sitting there watching it and uh and then eventually, like that manas gets close to the alaya <laughs> and everything starts calming down a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Can I give a, um, a bizarre pop quiz question and, and see what people, I'm curious to see what people's response will be because I 
have a, a strange answer for. Okay, so here, so here's a question. So what do all these words have in common? Impermanence, emptiness, middle way, awakening, not self, awareness, the truth, the path against the stream. Too many words. <laughs> that was too many words. I couldn't follow all that. <laughs> I, I got emptiness and, and impermanence, so I can see a definite connection with that. Yeah, then after I, that I, couldn't, I couldn't hear all that many words. Sorry. So, there, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, my point I was I was going to make it to that. It's just it seems to me, and I'm I'm just really curious to see what other people think about this. Is that that there's about 12 to 15 easy synonyms for enlightenment. Oh. And that all of these words I just listed are like from impermanence to awakening, to awareness, to the path, to the truth, oh. to, to going against the stream. And that they seem to be in a lot of texts, a lot of books I've read, they seem to be used almost interchangeably. Um, and you know, when they're convenient for different, different metaphors and analogies. I don't, I don't know if, if, they, if other people have noticed that. I don't know. Or am I just crazy? No, I, I, I agree. <laughs> well, I don't think it's anything crazy to, to compare the, the words. Um, I, I could see some difficulty because uh, there might be some differences by different teachers and also at different time periods. Sure, but I think and, in, enlightenment is more general than <laughs> than your words. Well, two examples like awakening and enlightenment, for example. Well, that's I mean, not yeah. yeah. I mean, those two those two things seem exactly the same, right? Um, and you know, emptiness is an emptiness emptying of 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 the self. Uh, isn't emptiness the way, you know? But every single one of those is a metaphor and some metaphors work better with some people and other metaphors work better with other people. Oh, that's true. And I, I guess I'm sure that's why they're all those. I'm just, yeah, I was just interested if other people were, were seeing the same patterns. And I don't know I, that I agree, Genev, that they're metaphors as opposed well, to actual things or well, actual- emptiness. Emptiness, awakening, those are those are physical. You know, we can we can have an empty bottle, we can wake up from a dream. They can also be other things, but they're metaphors from our physical experience. Yeah, and then then they are labels, right? They're labels. Which we drop off, right? Yeah, because language is very imperfect. It's describing things that are experiential which is a very tough thing to do, <laughs> right? I think, I mean, I think. Well, in fact, he said that somewhere back here, not too, too terribly long ago, that he was going to give this a go with words. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. good point, Alan. Okay, I think we ought to go on. Even though it's eight o'clock, let's see how long this last one is. Oh, but but Kim, it's a uh, aren't we at uh, the one at a, a heading, the one mind of all being, or do we yeah, have a, <laughs> it would be good to stop at a heading, you know?
Okay. What do you guys want to do? Stop or go? Stop. Okay. Go. <laughs> well, I'm going to bed. So if I'll read ahead, if y'all go on, I'll just catch no, up. No, we can't. We need you, Alan. No, I got to go to bed. It's it's nine o'clock here. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's nine here too. Yeah, nine for Genev too. <laughs> okay, so let's take ten minutes. And Carla, I, I kind of apologize, like where you jumped in, because this was a this was a very difficult um, section. Yeah. I don't think anything gets more difficult than what we just read. It, it feels a little extraneous to my um, to my understanding. I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to yeah. relate. To. Well, I think it's hard hard for all of us. Yeah, but I, mean, I have to I have to try I have to jump in and try to learn and you know that's why I'm here. Well, you and, know. and it's so difficult because it's all stuff that can't really be described or talked about, and yet he's trying. Uh, right. And Thank you know, you. because I missed the last couple of times, I thought y'all would be way ahead. And so I tried to catch up and it ended up reading ahead. And what he says, it's very interesting, a little bit ahead, you know, what we'll catch up to here soon. He says that uh, this stuff as um, that uh, uh, Katagiri is describing, he said, this is what the Buddha discovered. This was his awakening, but it was not understandable to the, those five disciples, his, his five friends. Yes. And so he had to, he had to, he had to dumb it down a little bit. And he, and, and so he created the eightfold path. And if you think about it, what he really is talking about, you can see, you can see the eightfold path. I mean, uh, the four noble truths in the eightfold path, you can really see that in it. It's like the details behind the four noble trees and the eightfold path. I mean, anyway, that's what he says later on. You'll see. I don't know what you think about that it. Is, that is interesting, but I I cannot recall, which doesn't mean that it's not there. But I I, I think the idea of his Alaya Vijnanas uh, has been really fully expressed by Vasubandhu. And he he is uh, you know like fourth century common era so it is long after the buddha so maybe he may have not used that type of a term but it would be interesting to see i mean we we read uh, some some summers ago we read uh, uh, Vasubandhu uh, in depth in practice. It's a fairly small, small book. Well, anyway, um, so I do not know whether that, that is interesting what you just uh, told us, but that that would be really um, uh, something that the the Buddha would use a terminology like this. He would. Well, I, I don't know. He may have used some other terms. Uh, uh -huh. it, it's interesting that actually Katagiri says that. Yeah. So I, I may want to 
look at it. Yeah, if I get a chance. And I, I think we need to keep reminding ourselves that the the main ambition of the Buddha was to end suffering. Right. And these are all means this kind of realization seems like a realization to, to do that. It's so easy to forget that, that it was not about philosophy and except he had a job to do. It was like Mother Teresa, but but more less physical, maybe. Yep. Good point. Well, should we take 10 minutes now and either? Good night, folks. Good night. Good night, Ellen. Bye-bye. I think I'll tune out now, too. Thank you all. Okay. Thank you, Carla, for coming. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay. 10 minutes. Well, who'd like to share, Genev? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So many words for no words. Does the cat have words? What mind does he inhabit? Is swimming the way of the fish? Is water the fish's delusion? Can this not be simple? Aren't we meant to get out of our own way? How can extrapolation upon extrapolation guide me to an experience beyond words? The curl of the cat here at peace seems a wisdom beyond mind. Mind, not mind. Morning dawns each day anew. Very nice. Thank you. I'm remembering when the first book group I was part of was at the end of the book that we went through in the Buddha's words of Buddha's sutras. And it was so, so complex. And I really felt for Carla, you know, jumping in where she did. But I think you express well, uh, what we were reading for me with your poetry. Who else would like to read or talk or smile, <laughs> laugh? I will. <coughs> what is fun is that when you roll a ball, its center doesn't roll. So right outside the center rolls, but its neighbor doesn't. One grandson made a clay baseball for his older brother. It had no center, but was filled with lots of love. Is that why we say that love makes the world go around? And then here's the...
picture of uh, the one grandson handing the ball to the other. Oh. It was actually only half a ball. He spent a whole oh. afternoon with my wife making it. Oh, nice. He, they both are playing baseball now. And the little one just has no idea or interest in it, but he's doing it because his big brother is. And his <laughs> big brother is completely into it. It's really fun. But the fact that he made him a baseball because he knew he loved that, it's just so touching. Yeah. They really love each other, these two kids. Mm, nice. But imagine the. So if this one part of the ball is moving around and the other part still, then um, there's no connection between those two spots. Like any, any other two points in the ball, even though the outside of the ball moves faster than the inside, they're all connected. So if you, if you drew a straight line out from the center, you know, and the ball turns, the neighbors don't change. But if you take that center of, you know what I mean? The center of the ball and, and the, the place right outside the center, it's spinning around the center. That's weird. <laughs> yes, sometimes physics is weird, yeah. <laughs> okay, Emily, your turn. Um, I was um, I was struck by the um, definition of abundance, which I read in this reading to be all the little moments of life, which are very fleeting, and um, the moment. I try to hold on to the moments can lead to discomfort. Um, but I've also I've often um, fallen into a trap of being very dissatisfied with the fact that things are very impermanent <laughs> in in the world, mm -hmm. and it um, causes great consternation and sadness um, sometimes. And so. Often I try and figure out where is the abundance because uh, so so often I lose I lose sight of it. Um, so it's good for me to come to these meetings to remember not to lose sight of the abundance. I was really uh, disappointed with this idea of impermanence too, up until about a month ago. And then I started imagining a world where there was no impermanence. <laughs> and yeah. and that, that's pretty scary too. I mean, first of all, it would, it would fill up with things and th then there'd be no seasons and there'd be no change. Um, I think it's pretty important. You know, oh, if you yeah. were to construct a world and you could have either permanence or impermanence, which would you take? Like we'd still be in the, you know, the, the earth is on fire, uh, just a ball of fire. 
we don't want that. No. So we wanted uh, we want permanence, but just in the way you know, in when everything's great. Yeah, everything has to be in a balance, but it's not always easy to understand that. Yeah. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. And it isn't that. always in balance in our experience of it. Right. Yeah. Daniel? Oh, yeah, I wanted to say that. I, I don't remember who said this, but um, uh, somebody said that if there was no evil or devil, it would be necessary to invent it. <laughs> yeah. In Judaism, the devil is God's assistant, who, who, like in Job, who tests our faith. Not, not a bad without without it we'd be you know we need we need the other side and then some people say we need the shadow side too in the same way trouty yes yes how sir are, how are you how are you i am all right i suppose <laughs> um yeah impermanence is uh, I think it is important. Um, well, I mean, uh, of course, if you lose uh, somebody very close to you, then it is just terrible, but it gives a chance to make new things or open up new things. And yeah, I suppose for a long time, um, I, I'm, I'm glad for it, in spite of that it may bring great pain and unfortunate and all kinds of things. But It's just not possible to to have something without that kind of a movement, if I can call it that. My sisters and I used to joke and we'd say, we don't do death, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and now they're gone. <laughs> yeah. My whole family was against it. We thought we could avoid it. And my parents took long walks every day because they were convinced they'd never die if they kept doing that. Well, that's actually a very sweet idea. Yeah. Well, can we wait till next week? <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Good night, Emily, if you're still there.
Thank you, everybody. Okay, bye-bye. She's, she's sending messages to me by mistake that she's trying to send to everyone. Just thanks, oh. everyone. Good night. Oh, good. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.